0: To know when it's okay to cope and when you need to be resilient. Hmm. And those are two very different things. And I think there's times when coping is appropriate and there are other times when it is really the right thing to do is to figure out how to build your resilience. But in the heat of the moment when the crisis happens, self-care, coping, scrappy, figure it out, is absolutely called for and that is okay. So make it safe safe to
1: cope. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome or welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle, and I'm very delighted to bring you today's guest, who is a friend of mine and somebody in my speaker world of several years now. And, um, you know, she's just somebody that like when she posts something like I'm like, yeah, when I post something, she's like, yeah, we've just always really connected and kind of see the world the same way. And we're both Super fierce independent women. Before this recording, we were even just kind of talking about some of our escapades <laughs> and the things that we've proven to ourselves. Um, and so I'm I'm super happy to present to you this bombshell, bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Jennifer Eggers is the founder and president of Leader Shift Insights Inc., the firm works with leaders and organizations facing disruption and wanting to increase their capacity to adapt so they can emerge stronger and more effective faster We definitely need a lot of that in the business world today. She's a professional speaker, coach, and consultant. Jennifer is an innovative leadership talent and organization development executive with a passion for creating insights that drive business results. She's known for facilitating high-stakes meetings with challenging stakeholders. Her book co-authored with Cynthia Barlow, Resilience is Not About Bouncing Back, international bestseller if I could talk today. And is available on Amazon. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. Jennifer, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm great like, it's about, it's about time. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll have somebody on here. I'll be like, how have I not had you on the show yet? But just, you know, we get in our... Our rhythms or whatever, but so there's so much to unpack with you, but I usually, I like to go personal to professional, but I think with you, I want to go professional and then personal, because I think if we talk about what it is you do, the personal will kind of like back up the why of that. Does, is that okay with you? Sure, Absolutely. Okay. So you're a bad mamma jamma coach to like CEOs. Like that's where you spend your time. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I spend I spend about seventy five percent of my time coaching presidents and business unit presidents and CEOs of Fortune five hundred companies, and it's you know it's evolved over the years. I started my business doing organization restructuring. Uh, We've done a lot of high stakes meetings. I still facilitate quite a bit. That's probably the other piece of my business now. Um, And then we've got a couple of leadership workshops. But I think the most fun, you know, when COVID started, of course things changed and evolved. And one of the things that happened was coaching just took off oh, same. and um, yeah. I mean, I'm interesting that you found that too. Of course you did, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I mean, it, the business took off and there's never been a point in my career where I, I wasn't coaching in some way because I had such a consulting background, but I don't think I ever really thought it would be meaningful and rewarding and, and really a big piece of who I am. And it's really become my primary focus And I think the reason is that you can really get to know these people really well. And the more of them that you meet with and the more that you coach, the more you start to be able to see around corners that maybe they can't see as they're kind of, you know, going through their day to day.
1: Yeah. So many of our listeners are CEOs. So maybe not of a fortune 500 company, but a mid-market business, Mm -hmm. or maybe even a small business, maybe they. You know, they might even just have seven employees, or maybe they're a solopreneur, but we'll just say a large majority of our audience are business owners. So, what I've found is they go from like I'm a wife and a mom mindset to suddenly they're running a business and they mm-hmm. don't wear that CEO mentality. They don't see themselves as the president of their company. Mm-hmm. They're still in this other mindset of this is how I'm supposed to be. And so I can't be fierce or I
0: can't, you, do you know what i mean? like? That's so true. You see it? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we see it a lot. As, I mean, particularly with female leaders where yeah. you, you grow up in a world where you have to be a fill in the blank, right? You think you need to be a good mother, a good wife, a good whatever. And the skills to run a business are frankly, in many ways, different. Yeah. And I think you arrive at this place and I I gotta be honest. I mean, I think this is true for me. Like you arrive at this place, but you don't realize how much influence you have and you don't necessarily realize how people see you. And so this need to really step into your power becomes super critical. And with that, I think for many come It's a bit of the inferiority complex or, you know, it's what do I do at the table with a room full of men or a room, you know, I'm now at this much more significant table than I was at before and how do I hold my own. And I think as women, we intuitively do that differently than men do. And so a lot of, I think a lot of the coaching is really, how do you compete? And it's not that we're competitive, but it's that you've got to be able to hold your own in those environments. And so many of the female leaders that I work with, I mean, it, it is about image. It's about, you know, how do I speak differently? How do I hold my space? Yeah. How do I, you know, how, how do I really create um, and build that credibility? And then frankly, I mean, we've, I've done a lot of work lately on how to get sort of the unwritten way of how to get promoted. And it's, you know, advocacy, sponsorship, which requires a whole lot more networking than most of us would ever, you know, really think about. Um, and that, that's that been a huge piece. It just feels like that's this year's kind of theme. You know, it's, it's helping people navigate that.
1: So like you, I've always said, in fact, I went into business as a coach. Like mm-hmm. I thought that I was going to be 100% coaching. And went to coaching school, all that kind of stuff. And, and then my business evolved and then the speaking piece came and then like just all kinds of things happened. And I never gave up coaching because I love it. Like you, like when you get to go that deep with somebody and you get to watch them and they're becoming and like, Oh, like I have goosebumps right now. even just saying that, but then COVID happened, wiped out our speaking businesses. That's for sure. And then I was, <laughs> you know, my consulting was in hotels and entertainment. So that didn't end well. Um, but like coaching people came out of the woodworks knocking my door down. Like I coached all day, every day. And I was like, I forgot how much I love this. It's
0: awesome. I mean, it's such a rewarding business to be in.
1: Oh my gosh. And, and then somebody knows that you're on their bench. Like they don't feel alone either. So that now they have all this extra power because they know that you're helping like fuel that not that it's coming from you, but it's a need of theirs. But what I've I think the thing that's been a pretty common thread in the past 18 months is especially younger women is teaching them that internal networking and teaching them who are your key stakeholders that you have to have bought in before you need them bought in.
0: Yeah. I I talk about that as, you know, you, you look at your career and you say, okay, when you're not in the room and people are talking about you and they're deciding who's going to be promoted, who needs to be at that table talking about you? Right. And so who are the people that you need in your camp? And you need to figure that out long before, two levels ahead of where you are. And then we, you know, we build sort of a target approach to networking. You have your inner circle, and then you know, the next bullseye is kind of the next level out. And we look at it that way. But those stakeholders for your career are really critical. But the fascinating part, and I think where people struggle, I, and I have a client right now going, kind of going through this, when I sat down with her and we built this stakeholder map, she looked at me and she said, but I don't ever talk to these people. Like I have no reason to go meet with them. And I said, you're right. You know, they're not, they're not people you do business with every day. They're not necessarily people that you have to sit in a meeting with, but they're people you better figure out a way to go meet with and find a way to go get to know them in a very targeted, intentional way. And, and it was really interesting because she was stagnating. She wasn't really getting promoted. She didn't have a lot of advocacy. She works in a big company where that's critical. And she said to me, you know, I can win any game I try to play. I mean, she's a fierce, independent woman, too. I like that. She statement. said, I didn't even know that this was a game I needed to be playing. And so she started doing the meetings. She started networking. She started meeting with people. And all of a sudden, she got this big expanded role. Now they're talking about her. She's got all this great visibility. And, you know, and she just said, oh, my God, you've opened my eyes to something that I never even realized I needed to do. And it's not just about the money. And no. it's not just about the power. It's Mm -hmm. about the
1: experience. It's about now I have an even more abundant experience when I go to work every day. Now I have like this, this meaty, fleshy, like world that I get to live in where people have my back and I know I have theirs and there's always a solution because I know who to go to and I know they're going to be there for me.
0: Absolutely.
1: I can do anything. I got the people
0: (laughs) you have more confidence in that environment you have the ability to walk in the door and you kind of own the place right you can walk in there and be fearless which is frankly what we need to be
1: yeah well and then it's like then there's all the weird things with women as well where you know if a man says something just a certain way that's just Bob saying something. Like I literally just had this conversation with um, the last person I interviewed. But if, if that comes out of my mouth, exactly the same way, I'm too much. I'm aggressive. Like Amber needs to calm down. You probably shouldn't talk to Bob with that tone. It's like, well, Bob just talked to Larry that way. Why can't what, like, it's true. (laughs) And it is what it is. And then also I want to add, because I'm all about the bombshell brand is not like girl power boys suck. No, I have a son. I have a dad. I have like three brothers, like tons of my best friend, like the man who wrote the intro to the bombshell businesswoman. the man is one of my heroes. So we always say that we see and support women on their becoming, Mm -hmm. not to the detriment of men, but to the benefit of all. So then sometimes I hear women say, well, I can't believe Bob talked to me that way. Well, Bob talks to Larry that way too, sis. This is not a gender thing. This is just a Bob thing.
0: (laughs) Bob's an asshole. Okay. (laughs) I think that's a hundred percent that's worth repeating because I, you know, and I've never been a joiner of women's organizations for that reason. Cause I feel like we have to work with men. We have to work in that environment. So, you know, suck it up, put your big girl panties on. We got to figure out how to make this work and and sometimes it's hard i mean it leadership isn't easy mm-hmm. and that's where you know i think and women women don't have it easy because when we do things the way men do it often comes across the wrong way or you know we can rub people the wrong way but that doesn't mean we don't have to do it we have right. to find a way to make it work for our personality your personality not your gender your Correct.
1: personality. And I think that's where like why I love doing the personal branding work is to just be like this is who you are. Get okay with it. Like own it, stand in this power, ground yourself like a mighty oak. This is your design. Don't try to be anybody that you're not. Like adapt your message based on the person, but don't adapt your yes. approach or who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, I want to go I want to go a little backwards now. So um bombshell listening. It's, it's an ongoing joke in our speaker fan bam that who has the story? Like if I could only get bit by a shark this summer, I would have a new keynote. Like that's, it's like a joke. Obviously we don't mean it, but it's kind of a joke. So I'm when I say this, I'm, it's like in that vein of like, okay, I had a kid when I was 16 years old, but Jennifer almost died five years ago. So she's got, she's got one up. So five years ago, when you were looking at death, that shifted a lot. Of your perspective, of how you did life, of who you surrounded yourself with. So can we start just with kind of like what happened then and then bring it into how does that impact your desire for the people you coach to like live their big lives too?
0: Yeah, of course. So you know, and first of all, that's not that's not like a one up, right? We, you can't. Compare no, to I'm anything. totally joking. And so, so don't <laughs> think of it that way, right? We all We're have all our stories. Our, we all have our junk that we go through, right? But I I think for me, you know, I, I had a medical crisis, and you know, thankfully the five years was a mistake. Um, but when it happened, I didn't know that, right? So I went a week with you know the nurse called at nine o'clock on a Friday night and or eight o'clock on a Friday night. Why she was even working, I don't know. But, you know, as she gave me the news, I don't think she knew that I knew the I knew a lot about the illness she was talking about. So she basically told me I had hypercardiomyopathy, which is an enlarged heart. And so I had a cat die of that. So I actually knew exactly what that was. And I knew a lot about it. And she rattled it off like she was going to get off the phone and forget it. Right. And I, so I stopped and I said, wait a minute, you're giving me about five years. And she said, well, some make it seven. Some are dead in two. We don't really know. And I said, well, it's eight o'clock on a Friday night. What, what do you want me to do now? And she goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well, you better come up with some kind of plan. (laughs) So, you know, but needless to say, she didn't. And so I sank to the floor and as I was laying on the floor, I, I thought to myself, boy, there's a lot in my life that is not good. Right. I was in a relationship that was really toxic. I was um, in a business partnership that was probably just about as toxic, um, you know. Maybe not as toxic, but it was running the business into the ground. Um, I didn't wasn't happy where I was living, you know. And so, all of a sudden, it hit me. And this is part of you know the work I've done on resilience. It only took me about twenty minutes to get to this point, and I said, "It doesn't matter if I have five years or fifty. Why would I want to live like this?" And so I got up and I said, "All right, well, let's get." because <laughs> you don't have much time and I you know and I, and I got up and I started writing down you know decisions and things that needed to change and you know I fired my business partner I broke I ended a relationship you know I decided to move I did a bunch of things but I'll ne- and, I, and I will say like you know so a week later I go to the doctor and of course he looks at everything and he goes well I think we read the, the scan wrong and so <laughs> you know, the whole thing was a mistake but it was it was absolutely and no, it wasn't mistake. The, no, best, it wasn't. <laughs> the best mistake that ever could have been made because it changed the way I think about everything yeah. and what I would say is that this notion I think you know I wrote the book on resilience um we started in 2015 and we knew you know it was like this rush to get it done because by the time 19 came around um I started speaking about it in 15 and then we decided to write the book and at the time, no one was talking about resilience, and so it was this big thing, right? Well, then COVID hit, and uh, so all the time I had spent convincing people that they needed to talk about resilience, like I, I suddenly felt validated, and you know, sold a bunch of work, and and it all of a sudden the the book, you know, proved its value. But now we need to move from resilience to reinvention. Um, it is well, I will still say that resilience is probably the number one skill that leaders need, even even now. But we also need to think about And I I think my next book will have something to do with this awakening, you know, this this sort of crisis of relevance that people are going through. And I think that's what I went through in 20 minutes um, and then lived out, you know, the next five years is really, what am I doing here, right? Like, what is it going to take to be really relevant and contribute something, frankly? And so, you know, when I think about my coaching, it really has a lot to really help people find that in their career that is really meaningful and relevant. It's not enough to just go to work and do your job every day and go home and wash your hands of it. Life is too short for that. Like you've got to really figure out a way to be fulfilled and and really make the contribution that you want to make to the world. And when you talk about personal branding, that resonated. I mean, if people aren't living into the really who they truly are, it's almost impossible to be 100% relevant. No, and, that, and that, I think, is the most rewarding thing. I mean. you know, in addition to the coaching about, you know, what do I do? Do we get out of Russia when, you know, the Ukraine war breaks out? And I mean, there's all kinds of big, hairy questions that we deal with, but personal relevance, I think, is probably the number one most important, most rewarding discussion we'll ever have.
1: And I, I 100% agree with that. It's why I do branding work. It's, it's because if you can, if you can define your value, then you can position your value. If you can position your value, then you get the opportunity to serve other people. If you can use your natural gifts and your history and everything that you've invested in yourself to learn and all of the crap that you've been through, that's taught you lessons to, and make that relevant. In service to another human being which then makes you happy because it's impacting somebody else like that's living to me it is is. and so you know we could call it branding all we want but like i just want people to like themselves and to use their gifts and feel relevant at the end of the day that's Mm -hmm. all i care about and uh, i do think covid uh gave us a lot of gifts I think that it gave us, those of us who chose to embrace the quiet and to see it as a gift, I think that we got to have some really good conversations with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, from a technological standpoint, you know, you and I have been on Zoom for years, not everybody has. So (laughs) we had to go to meetings in other states that now we can just hop on Zoom and that's the norm. And I think it also pierced people's soul in the fact that it's like the world is weird, things can go down that we had no clue was even like so far out of our control. Mm-hmm. Where do I
0: fit in? Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, it's funny when I, when I titled our the book resilience, it's not about bouncing back. I mean, everybody was like, what do you mean? It's not about bouncing back. Like that's the first thing you say. And I, you know, I've spent many years saying, well, well no, at the pace that things are changing, you can't go back. Right. So it has to be about going forward. Right. And I think COVID has taught us that we yeah. are not ever going back to where no. we were before. Thank God! Thank God! <laughs> Thank God! By the way, um, but no, we're not ever going back. So there's a constant need for reinvention and and rethinking and and frankly, rethinking leadership. You know, as a female leader or as any leader it doesn't even have to be a female leader. <laughs> I mean, we really have to rethink the way we lead and motivate people because people don't put up with what they put up with before.
1: No. And from an employer branding perspective, like gone are the days where you're like, you should be happy. You have a job, do your work and shut up. Like that ain't happening anymore. Never again. You're teaching people, you need to have massive amounts of relevance in your everyday. I'm teaching people that every guru thought leader, everybody's saying find significance in your life. And then they go to work where they just punch a clock and are told what to do and go home. Like that's not going to work. Right. We have to do things differently, and even if you just look at the like structural nature of all the things—political structure—I mean, everything from taking down Harry Weinstein to you know really having discussions around um, the George Floyd debacle and mm-hmm. murder, the the way that businesses are ran and held accountable, um, ecological issues like. 2020 did not just bring us a pandemic, it brought us a lot to discuss. And there's a different generation at the helm of that, moving those things forward. So how are you seeing like even the generational shift as like, I mean, we were talking about baby boomers leaving 10,000 humans a day out of the workforce in Mm -hmm. 2019. Yeah. So they're almost all gone now. Now we have the millennials we used to complain about who are the elders. And those of us Gen Xers still hanging in there, even though there's not many of us (laughs) still with our MPV attitudes, but you have millennials who used to get picked on or now like, oh my gosh, what's going on with these Gen Zs? Where are you seeing that? Like at that level of leadership that you're really influencing at this point?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't seen quite as much of it. So I will say I had my first leadership strat planning session with a CEO and his team that was younger than me. Um, last year, and so that was, well, maybe two years ago. And that was um, really eye-opening, right? So they definitely they definitely think differently. What I will say is I like the um, the nuances in the way they're thinking is really, really, really refreshing. Yeah, so I talk a lot about adaptive leadership, and it's kind of a you know, there's sort of old school hierarchical leadership, and then there's, you know, a leader who really creates space. Um, defines the problem, creates space to solve it, invites people in, you know, really is leading by collaboration and bringing in um, diversity of thought and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've certainly seen more of that. And I think it is, um, it's incredibly refreshing. The leaders who can't do that today are being left behind. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is a a bit of, and, you know, when you say you coach CEOs and, you know, business presidents, I got to say many of them are still, you know, old white guys. Yeah. And so, so there's still there's still a bit of that, and there's still definitely a bit of helping them think differently about leadership. I mean, I, I had a guy this year that I've probably delivered some of the worst feedback I've ever had to deliver on somebody, and you know, it was interesting. He was president of a big division, but he really wasn't getting along with his support people, like HR, IT, finance. You know, and in his mind, they're just support people right i i we drive the business with sales and manufacturing and you know these support people they don't even, they shouldn't even really report to me they're just like over there and so we had a big you know discussion about hang on a minute like, your assets let's, let's figure out how to really drive value out of those support people and i bet if you include them and you get their opinion and you actually you know treat them as equals i bet you'll do better and lo and behold look what happened i mean he really did um and this was a guy that was willing to change and look at himself which was really you know a good thing but I think that, you know, that, that piece about really thinking differently about leadership is, is probably you know, one of the number one things that we deal with when we think about you know, generations. And the other thing, just to link it maybe back to resilience a bit, and I, there aren't many people talking about it this way, but the way I frame it up is any kind of power struggle or marginalized people. And that could be, you know, minorities, it could be LGBTQ, it could be women, it could be I, anything. And I even look at it as people that are on a different diet than you, right? Yeah. If you can't find food that's safe in your organization, you're excluded from a lot of things. So we will, and I, I throw that in there, one, because it, ha- it is my situation, but another, also, yeah. but, an- but, and it's many people's situation. But, self, but but maybe not so selfishly, to try to get people to really think about how are we thinking about inclusion? And anyone that is not included cannot possibly contribute at their greatest potential. And the way resilience works is, think of it like a gas tank, right? Like one of those five gallon cans that you carry. So when the tank is full and I run out of gas at work because I'm busy and you're asking me to do 110%, I got my five gallon can in the corner and I can get a little extra energy. But if that tank is used up because I had to worry about my image with somebody that doesn't like my race, or I had to fight a battle, a political battle with two guys that won't let me, you know, in at the table, or I had to like, whatever it is that takes away from your ability to deal with the real issues right now is draining that tank. And if people can't contribute at their full potential, you are not getting what you need out of them. And there's no margin anymore. So you know, don't have time for that.
1: And and also there's only 0. 0.5 applicants per open position. So good luck backfilling somebody who walks out your door because you couldn't make them feel like they fit in there. And I love that we've recently shifted from DEI to DEIB. And so for those of you who don't understand that language or haven't been exposed to that language, DEI would be diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when you add the B onto it, it's belonging. And so I'm like, you can keep those first three letters because you can have them. them." Because at this point, if we focus on that B, D, E, and I will happen my opinion, not the truth. I have no data to support this, but I'm like, isn't that what it is? Like, isn't it like, isn't it that I don't care who you love or what gender you affiliate with? Mm -hmm. I don't care what skin color you have, or if you're, you know, naturally, um, your natural hair, if it's professional enough, like, because I'm trying to, make you look Caucasian when you clearly are not, like none of that matters. Your neurodivergence, you're having celiac disease, not being able to eat what is, you know, at the party or whatever, no matter what that is, if all I do is let go of all of that data and I just look at you as a human being Mm -hmm. and I want you to feel like you belong with everybody else in this room at this company, it works itself out.
0: It does. And I'll even go one step farther. I think those initiatives are driven for all the wrong reasons. Um, my sense is that if CEOs and senior leaders, they need innovation, they need new ideas. They can- they don't have all the answers anymore. That's where traditional leadership failed. So if you want new ideas, innovation, you want people that think differently, you better put them at the table That's right. and you better invite them there and make sure they belong so they can contribute. Cause if you don't have those ideas, it is going to pass you by. Yeah. And I don't care. All the DEI mm-hmm. initiatives in the world aren't going to solve that problem.
1: Right. No, I agree. I agree, and and I think too. I've been a creative director. I've PRs my whole world and branding and blah blah blah. So my whole career has been managing creatives. I have a whole chapter in the Bombshell woman about managing creatives because <laughs> women get into business and then they don't know how to talk to a graphic designer or a video editor or whatever, and then they don't get the, what they want, and then like they're just mad. And so you know, especially in a, a corporate entity a senior leader will be like, oh, well, you know, John or Joy or whoever, you know, they just, they're kind of all over the place. And sometimes they're moody and like, you know, they get really great work, but man, I think we're just going to have to move on to somebody else. And I'm like, why that's, that's part of being a creative. Like if you want that, level that you're getting then you also are going to have to put bubble wrap in place to make sure that they meet their deadlines that somebody's checking their work like help them empower them to figure out how to do those things for themselves i'm not saying it's your responsibility But like accept that human for who they are that person has adhd also by the way they probably haven't turned that into human resources but i'm gonna bet if they're a graphic designer they probably are um (laughs) Like, raise your hand if you're listening. You're a graphic designer and you know (laughs) that you are on the ADHD spectrum or even like the ASD spectrum. And, or I mean, I could just go on and on and on about these different things that like Mm -hmm. get that innovation. You
0: have to let innovative thinkers be who they are. That's true. I think that's the whole point right there. You've got to let people be who they are. And that's the piece about as I see older people. Starting to question their relevance because many of my clients are starting to see that, uh-oh, like the workforce has changed. I'm not sure I can keep up. I don't know what I need to do to keep up. Am I relevant anymore? I mean, I had a guy asked me that, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Am I relevant anymore? And, you know, I ended up in what I thought it was almost like a therapy session, <laughs> trying to talk this guy off the ledge. And it was really just a stakeholder interview for a strategy planning session. But, you know, he was he was a really high-ranking guy and he was you know gosh letting down his guard and telling me i don't even know if i'm relevant anymore and i think we have to help those people too when they when they're asking those questions and maybe they're and you know maybe they're saying um gosh i've been living in new york city for my whole life i've been raising my kids here um maybe I need to get out of the city maybe I need to experience something different maybe I need to try something different maybe oh my god I've been a CFO my whole life but I've always wanted to raise horses or whatever it is how do we as organizations help those people find their relevance so that in a way that allows them to still contribute as they revolutionize themselves yeah and I think that's really critical too
1: yeah and can we just give a shout out to all the old white men out there too because like listen y'all you're not bad. Okay. Some of you are, but some of us are bad too. And so like, I I think of all the people who are my mentors, who've opened doors for me, who have taught me things, who have yes. I mean, taught me about M and a work and like private equity and, and what's a hedge fund. And like, they're all
0: mm-hmm. middle-aged or older it's white nice. guys. They're the majority of my clients. I mean, I can't say I don't, I've dealt with every religion, race, creed, gender, whatever, but I mean, I have to say, when you look at senior leaders, they're still there. And, you know, and we, and that's, how do we help them deal with the, not, it's not like deal with the new generation. It's deal with the business needs of today that require us to get new ideas, mobilize people to solve problems in ways we never have before. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and everything. And I think that's why I love business so much. People are, you're business obsessed. Like that's all you ever talk about. I'm like, oh, well, it's interesting. It's a Petri dish. It's a it's it giant exper- experiment. And so you just like, okay, my hypothesis is that this is going to work. Let's try it. Oh, that didn't
0: work. Try something Before else. A <laughs> new experiment. <laughs> you know? well, well, and I think, I think one of the reasons you and I connect, I'm I'm guessing here, but I remember, you know, when I when I started, right? There there I was the first undergraduate that Arthur Anderson had ever hired into business consulting. And oh, wow. the really ironic part was they they I didn't qualify for the the standard training that all the consultants went through because I didn't have an MBA. So they put me on the line with all of the clients and just expected me to sink or swim like anybody else with no training, no, you know, like, okay, here you are. And And to me, it was the way, so most consultants came at this with a book of best, you know, a binder full of best practices that they carried around and they had their list of like what they were supposed to do. Well, I walked in and I'm like, well, let's try this, right? So we try something and if it worked, we did it again. If it didn't work, throw that one away, we'll pull something else out, you know? And so I felt like I had this very scrappy, like not low quality, but just this really sort of scrappy make do with what you got use your resources innovative approach that really has shaped a lot of the way I operate I mean I've I I want to leverage in life, too. in life too in life too exactly. <laughs> in life I mean and that's as much a part of me you know and it's it's what's really funny about that is I think it has a lot to do with you know family and ancestors and the way you're raised and all of that and I would have denied that until I got caught I ironically got caught in a class at Harvard a couple of years ago and the instructor, I, you know, we were bringing in these business failure cases and I had this case and he said to me, well, you need to ask yourself, what was it about your ancestors that drove you to do this particular thing? And I laughed. I was like, oh yeah, I don't have any ancestors. What are you talking about? You know, and by the next day when it hit me, and unfortunately it hit me like a ton of bricks and I ended up leaving the room and like sobbing in a stairwell when I really realized the root of who I am and the root of who my family was. My grandfather was a gang member that came through the depression, running running booze and everything, right? He was scrappy. Maybe this is why we're friends. And so my, my whole MO is, you know, we're going to use our available resources. We're going to figure out how to make it work. Come hell or high water, we're going to figure out how to make it work. And I had to, I really did have to learn that there are times when you you really probably should stick to your methodology. and I had to, you know but I had to I had to kind of go through, you know the battle scars of of a young consultant to get to the point where now I know, okay, there are times when I can be scrappy and there's times when we have to do it right because oh my book. Yeah, yeah, because like that elegant, beautifully
1: little nice and neat, you know, best practices pile over here, like that's helpful. but then you and I are like, here's my grit. Right. (laughs) Let's play in the grit first. But then there are times where it's like, eh, no. And I've got a, a lead consultant in employer brand central where she, she is more of this. She's got grit too. Don't get me wrong. And then I'm like the kind of the messier, grittier, like, let's try things. And then I also can go over here and we balance each other very, very well. So like bigger projects, I work with her because then you, you have that balance. And it's I obsess over my history, like, obsess over it. Like I've been to Cefalu in Sicily, where my family's from. We came over four, five generations ago to New Orleans. But like when people like want to test me, I'm like, okay, here's what's up. My family is from the birthplace of the US mafia, starting there. And then also my maiden name is Eric. My
0: grandmother is from Sicily too. See, I know. Like
1: you're like my (laughs) gangster. I'm like, mine too. Okay. (laughs) So you've got the mafia birthplace. And then my my last name is Erickson. My birth last name is Erickson. Like I come from the Vikings who pillaged (laughs) your land. You put those together. You don't want to mess with me. I'm telling you, super nice person, but the fuel inside of me comes from really, and then Scottish too. Like you don't, you don't want to mess with me.
0: You don't want (laughs) to (laughs) there's your velvet machete. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, yep. You want the velvet on that, but the the Sicilian, Norwegian, Scottish machete will come out in a heartbeat. So I love it. We've covered so much, and I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation. And bombshell, I just want you to know, like beforehand, I was like, I don't know, Jennifer, let's just like we always see eye to eye. So let's just go down (laughs) a path and maybe this is a direction-ish and see where it happens. And I'm delighted. So before we get into how people can find you and all that good jazz, I always ask, and I know you've listened to some episodes, what is your number one piece of parting advice that you feel like a bombshell, a bold, brave, unwaveringly competent woman in business needs to know?
0: Good grief. Um, wow. <laughs> I ask all the softball questions on
1: this show, as you can tell.
0: Holy cow. You know, I, I'm sure that with the benefit of 10 minutes to think about that, I would come <laughs> up with better advice. But, you know, right now, I'm going to say, I think it's important in the moment in time that we're in to know when it's okay to cope and when you need to be resilient. Hmm. And those are two very different things. And I think we have made it less safe for people to cope. And I think there's times when coping is appropriate and there are other times when it is really the right thing to do is to figure out how to build your resilience but in the heat of the moment when the crisis happens self care coping scrappy figure it out is absolutely called for and that is okay so make it safe to cope
1: i love that and i love that permission especially from a baddie like you in the past you've you know we've talked about what my past couple of years have been like, and there have been days and everyone thinks I'm just like this lioness giant, like nothing can ever get to me. And I will admit I have a little more confidence, a little more energy than the average person, but like I get taken down too. And there have been so many days where I've just had to be like, Amber, you are literally doing the best that you can there. I can't think of another thing that you could possibly do to improve upon what's happening in your life right now you're doing the best you can. It is time to just cope. I've never given myself permission to do that in my life ever until the past two years.
0: You have to. And I think we've made it, we've set this bar really high and particularly for women that you've got to be this great, resilient, whatever, right? Well, that takes work. The work of becoming resilient is edgy in your face, like real, real into like introspective work. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that in the face of a major crisis. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't want people to feel like they're failing because they have to cope. It, it's okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, I love that. And I love it. It's coming from somebody with such natural strength where it's not somebody soft and fuzzy coming in here and being like, and we're all going to
0: hold hands
1: and it's okay to not be okay. And then not that there's anything wrong with that. I didn't do Kumbaya, that. Uh, well yeah yeah we're not kumbaya kind people <laughs> okay you got a bonfire scene kumbaya let's let let's light that all the way up let's burn right. the whole
0: thing down yeah
1: let's, let's just burn the whole thing down burn the hard. whole thing get
0: out the guitars and we'll move on yeah <laughs>
1: i'm gonna use your guitar as kindle for that <laughs> oh so i love that i love that you come in and are just like so strong and so like but that's still that's okay so if people wanted to connect with you first of all let's go on linkedin because we do business on linkedin so i want everybody Absolutely. to be on that so we can find you there um then also you're on facebook as i lead- am
0: jennifer eggers um on, on facebook or i think jennifer eggers speaker okay. is the um the official page and there there might even be one under jennifer eggers organizational resilience Expert. But okay. I think that takes you to the same place Jennifer Egger's speaker does.
1: Well, we could probably get any of those places if if we go to leader. leader
0: leadershipinsights.com.
1: Leader. Okay. We'll get
0: you to all of those places. Um, and then there's also, I mean, you can email me info at leadershipinsights.com or jeggers at leadershipinsights.com. Um, yeah. The info ad will get you to my team. And uh, yeah, absolutely happy to, re- to uh, talk to any of your listeners if anybody's, you know, Got thoughts they want to share or um, need some help, feel free to give me a call.
1: Yeah. And let me just tell you too um, the the greatest part of being in this thought leadership space is that you get to admire your peers and you get to see how they do things and you can see how they show up. And, you know, if you're looking for a coach and you're in a dynamic situation or you're in a fast growing company or, you know, you're in a, a space where you need the resiliency, not that that's all she coaches on, but I would say, you know, those sweet spots of that more intense experience, like you've seen her, she's, she's going to be nice, but she's also going to straighten you out. And I think (laughs) when you're in that space of, you need somebody solid and grounded and strong and not fluffy, but who can also show you empathy and compassion and hold space for you. And, And that's Jennifer. So I just you know, she is a bad mama coach. She's also a great facilitator and a speaker. So go to her website, reach out to her via email, connect with her on LinkedIn. You'll see what I'm talking about. And Jennifer, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your greatness with um, our audience.
0: Thank you so much for having me. You, you know, it, what's funny when you said that, I'm like, you know, think about who you admire in your, uh, in the speaking community. You're, you're certainly one of them. So thank you so much. It's kind of an honor to be here. So I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's an honor to have you. Bombshell, you know what to do. Reach out to Jennifer, leave a rating and review if you haven't. Send this episode to somebody. Give the gift of knowledge to somebody. They could pop it in their car, listen in to one and a half speed, knock it out, and and they'll get all of Jennifer's good insights. Um, because she's given some good some good juice today. It's it's um you know we're in weird times, and she's kind of given a roadmap to help us navigate that. So um, send it to somebody, and then of course make sure that you tune in, and uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business podcast. Visit amberhurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.